Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I'm Christian. You know what Christy Matthewson wor- wasn't worried about? S-I-E-R-A. When you're thinking about Pedro Siriaco, I mean, the only one that can compete is maybe uh, Hannes Wagner's 1908 season. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. Like, if we just clip together every time we've talked about him on other people's profiles, we've done a Mickey Cochran episode. I can't get past Rabbit Marinville. It's, it's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm your host, Chris Gianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, it's, it's still getting very weird to me to hear you say Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm just so used to hearing kind of whenever. It's very... It, throws me off a lot yeah the the first change we had to endure was the new name and now it's us kind of knowing when we're releasing podcasts yep shock it's like we actually have a consistent posting schedule for once actually we did at the start of it yeah it had to but yeah yeah with radio it was tuesdays slash thursdays depending on the time of the year that's right and we did every Wednesday, which then sometimes turned into Thursdays for mm-hmm. history. And then, yeah, during the season, it was all over the place. But I feel like it will probably get there eventually anyway. But we have to enjoy uh, us being organized while we can. Exactly. Because we have no idea what can happen. But anyway, uh, we have a special player history episode talking about Frank Robinson, one of the one of the all-time greats. One of the underrated all-timers. Yeah, sure. under underrated all-timer. You know, he played his greatness probably got overshadowed by guys like Willie Mays and Hank Aaron, maybe even Roberto Clemente, but he was uh he was right, right there with them. Right up there with them in terms of absolutely numbers, in terms of success. He uh, and he really did it all. He was able to do everything that a major leaguer could in their career, and we're gonna get right into that. So we'll start with where, with the origins of Mr. Frank Robinson. And he was born in Beaumont, Texas. And briefly after he was born, his parents divorced, and his mother moved the family to California. And Frank grew up mostly in. West Oakland, California. And Frank actually got external motivation from his father unintentionally when his father apparently told Frank's brothers that he, quote, will never make a major league baseball player. So Robinson, right then and there, had the, had the motivation uh, after hearing of this statement. And he grew up playing baseball, basketball, and football and he joined the American Legion team uh, that was coached by. He joined the American Legion team that was coached by a well-known baseball and basketball coach named George Poles, uh, and he did that when he was 14. And this was kind of his first step in playing very, very competitive baseball. And after graduating high school, uh, Robinson had the talent enough to signed with a major league organization and he signed with the Cincinnati Reds for $3,500. So Frank Robinson is now a professional baseball player on his way to proving his father wrong. And in 1953, he got off to a great start. He hit 348 and slugged 656 in just 72 games with class C Ogden. Uh, So he's, you know, still needs, he's still a long way up the mountain for him, but he's at a good place right now. And in 1954, he mostly played in Class A Columbia, where he hit 336 and slugged 591 in 132 games. So he is still playing excellent ball. But unfortunately, in 1955, a shoulder injury shortened his season to just 80 games, where he hit 263 and slugged 531. Uh, despite the injury, the, the Reds were able to look past this, and he ended up joining the MLB roster in the beginning of 1956. So for Robinson, 
the minors to the majors was a relatively easy transition. And it's shown, you know, not only in his first year, but his first four years in the big leagues. And in 1956, uh, he made his major league debut on April 17th, which was where he went two for three with a walk and a double. And in the first half of that 1956 season, Robinson ranked second in the National League in average with a 313 and led the league in OPS with a 991 and earned the start in left field in the All-Star game at the age of 20, earning the start uh, in left field. And he ended up hitting 290 with a 936 OPS, 143 OPS plus and 145 weighted runs created plus in 1956 and he led the league in hit by pitches uh with 20 and runs scored with 122 what a combo yeah well you know there's a there's a probably a correlation you get hit and you get hit get in yeah you eventually find your way home and he became known for his willingness to get hit and earl earl weaver later remarked quote nobody had more guts than Nobody had more guts at the plate than Frank. He actually curled his upper body and head over the plate and dared pitchers to hit him, unquote. So Robinson became known for being able to take a pitch to the body. And he ended up finishing fourth in B-War and fifth in F-War in that 1956 season. And he won Rookie of the Year and finished seventh in the MVP vote. And his 20 hit-by-pitches are the most in a single season by a player in their age 20 season or younger. How about that? And his 1956 is the only rookie season in baseball history with 36 plus home runs, five plus triples, and an OPS plus of 140 or better. How about that? It is also the only rookie season in baseball history with 35 plus home runs, 25 plus doubles, and 120 plus runs scored How about that? and the red legs as they were referred to at that point finished five finished above 500 for the first time in 12 years and went 91 and 63 and finished two games behind the pennant winning brooklyn dodgers and a fun fact you know you're wonder if you're wondering why they were called the red legs because historically they have been the reds even back in the dead ball era, uh, Cincinnati's baseball team was known as the Red Legs from 1954 to 1958 uh, because their GM preferred to be called that. And that was because, you know, this name change was coincided with the Red Scare, which was when the fear of communist infiltration within the American government was at an all time high. If you've heard of McCarthyism, that's where that come from. That's where that comes from. And as a result, the Reds for about five years uh, were named the Red Legs because they did not want to be uh, accused of promoting communism, I guess. Fair enough. Pretty, pretty hilarious. Fair enough in the 1950s. Yeah. So now we move into 1957. Name name controversy aside, Frank Robinson was still doing his thing. He finished third in average with a 322, seventh in OPS with a 905, eighth in OPS plus with a 135, and seventh in weighted runs created plus with 137. This gave him fourth in B-War and fourth in F-War. He also finished ninth in the MVP vote in 1957. And Frank Robinson became the only player to have multiple seasons with 665 plus plate appearances, a 135 OPS or better, and an, an eight plus stolen bases through their age 21 season. Despite this great play from a young Frank Robinson, the Red Legs weren't able to contribute as a team. They went 80 and 74 and finished fourth in the National League. And now in 1958, uh, Frank Robinson slumped a bit in the first half because his average was 249 and his OPS was 722 with only eight home runs and 23 RBI in 68 games. In the second half, he hit 285 with a 960 OPS, 23 home runs and 60 RBI in 80 games. So in total, he hit 269 with an 8 
854 OPS, a 118 OPS plus, and 120 weighted runs created plus. He won the gold glove and finished 19, 19th in the MVP vote, but the Red Legs went 76 and 78, finishing fourth once again in the National League. And now on to 1959, where he starts to, you know, get, get something going. Uh, he finished sixth in average with a 311, third in OPS with a 975, fifth in OPS plus with a 153, and fourth in weighted runs created plus with a 149. And he finished sixth, breaking the top 10 in stolen bases for the first time with 18 stolen bases. And along with that, he hit 316 with runners in scoring position in that 1959 season. He finished seventh in B War, sixth in F War, and he finished ninth in the MVP vote. And it is the only season by a player in their age 23 season or younger with 35 plus home runs, 125 plus RBI, and 15 plus stolen bases. How about that? And the Reds, as they were referred to now, went 74 and 80 and finished fifth in the National League. So now we are on to a, a three-year stretch of Frank Robinson's career, which were his best days in Cincinnati. So as we turn the decade over to the 60s, in 1960, Frank Robinson finished eighth in average with a 297. He led the league in slugging percentage with a 595, OPS with a 1002, OPS plus with a 169, weighted runs created plus with a 168. He led the league in all those. He finished sixth in wins above replacement on both websites, but he got 20th in the MVP vote. Probably deserved a little better, but you know what? It was 1960. The writers didn't exactly know better. The Reds went 67 and 87, which wasn't good. It was sixth in the National League. So now on to 1961, where Frank Robinson continues his dominance, finishing sixth in average with a 323 and third in stolen bases with 22 and he ended up leading the league in sacrifice flies with 10 slugging with a 611 OPS with a 1015 OPS plus with a 164 and weighted runs created plus with a 156 and he ended up finishing fourth in B war and fourth in F war but because of his ability to drive in runs hit home runs and the team success Frank Robinson won 1961 National League MVP, and it is the only season by a player in their age 25 season or younger with 35 plus home runs, 30 plus doubles, seven plus triples, and 20 plus stolen bases. How about that? And it is also the only season in baseball history with 22 plus stolen bases, less than four caught stealings, and 120 plus RBI. And part of the reason, you know, Robinson was able to win the MVP in 1961 was because of the Reds' success. The Reds went 93-61 and 61 and won the National League pennant. So now we're in the World Series. And the Reds and Yankees split the first two games while Robinson went one for six with two walks in that series. And then in game three, uh, Robinson came up with a man on first and two outs in a scoreless ball game, looking to break the scoreless tie. With two outs, Frank Robinson lines a hit the left. It bounces off the wall on the first hop for a double. Chacon trots on home with the first run of the ball game. So Robinson breaks the scoreless tie in game three of the World Series, hoping to get the Reds to advance the Reds to uh, having the series lead. He ended up one for four on the day in game three, but the Reds lost three to two. And in game four, he went 0 for one with a walk and two hit by pitches in a seven to nothing loss. And in game five, he went two for four with a double and a three-run home run. However, the Reds lost that game to the Yankees 13-5, to which lost them the World Series. 
Uh, Robinson, as a whole in the series, ended up putting putting up a 9.33 OPS. So now we're on to 1962, where arguably probably had a had a better season. In 1962, Robinson finished second in average with a 3.42 average, uh, a career high in average, I might add, and he also was seventh in stolen bases with 18. That is not and, very high for seventh. Yeah, you know, this was stolen bases were not a we're not huge in the 50s and 60s. Obviously. No, they weren't. I was, you know, funny. I was just re-watching uh, the John Boyce. I think it was the Mariners documentary uh, with Alex Rubenstein from Secret Base. And, like, they literally mentioned, like, stolen bases were cool in, like, the, the 20s and 30s, and they weren't cool. And then if they became cool again, then they weren't again. I yeah, think it was right. from the Mariners doc. It may have been a different video. Yeah, because, like, the 1980s, people couldn't stop stealing bases. But yeah. 50s and 60s, like you could lead the league with 25. It was it was pretty wild. But um, Robinson, when there were men in scoring position, possibly stealing bags, uh, Robinson hit 390 with runners in scoring position in 1962, which led him to having a career high 136 runs batted in, and he also led the league in times on base, hit by pitches with 11. Runs scored with 134, doubles with 51, on base percentage with a 421, slugging with a 624, OPS with a 1045, OPS plus with a 173, and weighted runs created plus with a 171. And he finished second in B War and second in F War. And he finished fourth in that MVP vote. Uh, you know, 1962 NL MVP. We've, we've talked about it before. Handed it over to uh, the guy with a 720 OPS and six wins above replacement. Probably should have gone to someone else, but and not Robinson. Probably should have gone to Willie Mays. But yeah, we've discussed that on a different show. That's a that's a discussion from episode 36, part one. So Robinson's 1962 is the only season in baseball history with a 420-plus on-base percentage, 35-plus home runs, 50-plus doubles, and 15-plus stolen bases. How about that? And Robinson remains the only player in baseball history with 240-plus career home runs and 90-plus stolen bases through his first seven seasons. How about that? With that 1956-62 run, it was dominant like no one uh in a way that no one else had been dominant and the reds uh had another great season actually better than the year before they went 98 and 64 but that was not good enough to win the national league they finished third in the national league with that 98 and 64 record so now robinson is in another era of his career where he's not having the same career years that he did in 61 and 62 but He's still very consistent and a very good ball player for the next three years in Cincinnati. So we go into 1963 where Frank Robinson hits 259 on the year with an 821 OPS, 133 OPS plus, 132 weighted runs created plus. He also hit 316 this year with runners in scoring position. And he finished fourth in stolen bases with 26. And he led the league and hit by pitches with 14. And the Reds would end up going 86 and 76 this season, finishing fifth in the National League. And in 1964, on September 15th, the Reds seemed very out of it. Uh, they were eight and a half games behind in the pennant race on September 15th as the season was pretty much winding down. But over the next 12 games, uh, with the pennant still in sight for Frank Robinson, Robinson hit 362 with an 1125 OPS and 12 RBI in those 12 games as the Reds went 11 and 1 and took a one game lead in the pennant race. And in the final five games of the season, uh, Robinson hit 389 with a 1077 OPS. But the Reds went 1 and 4 and ended up losing the pennant by losing the pennant race by a one game margin despite Robinson's efforts and 
Robinson, as a whole, in 1964, ended up finishing 10th in average with a 306, third in OPS with a 943, fifth in OPS plus with a 160, and sixth in weighted runs created plus with a 156. And he was spectacular with runners in scoring position once again, hitting 331 in those situations. And he finished fifth in stolen bases with 23, finished fifth in B war, and finished fourth in F war. And the writers, uh, in 1964, probably preferred F War as he finished fourth in the 1964 MVP, MVP vote. So now we move to 1965, and he hit 296 with a 925 OPS, very good season, 151 OPS plus and 150 weighted runs created plus. He finished fourth in OPS and fifth in both the league adjusted versions of it. He led the league and hit by pitch once again with 18. And he finished 18th in the MVP vote. The Reds went 89 and 73, finishing fourth once again in the National League. And interesting stuff started brewing in Cincinnati. The owner, Bill DeWitt, infamously described Robinson as, quote, an old 30. And he traded him to the Baltimore Orioles for Jack Baldwin, Milt Pappas, and Dick Simpson. And on Society of American Baseball Research, I'm sorry, Society for American Baseball Research, Mike Robinson was. Uh, pretty stunned. He said, quote, my mind went blank when the trade was announced. But when I thought about it, I ch changed my thinking. I did not feel I had anything to prove. Yet I wanted to prove to Bill DeWitt that I was not done at age 30. And for basically the next six seasons, Frank Robinson is sticking it to Bill DeWitt uh, and sticking it pretty hard. And it comes out with a vengeance in the 1966 season. Now, he was already doing great in 64 and 65, but he really ramps it up. So in 1966, Frank Robinson hit a home run in each of his first three games, and through his first 11 games, he was hitting 474 with a 16-18 OPS while the Orioles went 10-1. and And here is a story from Society for American Baseball Research. It says... Although the Orioles steamrolled to win 12 of their first 15 games, they found themselves in second place behind the surprising Cleveland Indians. Indians. When the Tribe visited Baltimore in early May, they split the first two games before the Orioles won the opener of a Sunday doubleheader. In the second game of, of that May 8 uh, twin bill, Robinson rose to the occasion. His opponent was Cleveland's Louis Tion fresh off three consecutive strikeouts. Battling a chronic shoulder injury, Robinson kept his arms high and swung his, his bat on a first pitch fastball, crushing the ball 540 feet. It was the only fair ball ever hit out of Memorial Stadium. A crowd of 49,516 serenaded Robinson with an ovation, as he later told Al Silverman or as he later told Al Silverman, I felt I was at home. Uh, that's a quote from Frank Robinson. And to finish the quote, the Orioles won the contest eight to three and had tied the Indians for first place. Uh, Mo Drabowski described the homer as the big one in the season as it galvanized the whole team. You know, there's all this talk about the Babe Ruth called shot and the Ted Williams 502-foot home run, the Red State at Fenway. Why does no one talk about the 540-foot shot from Frank Robinson? Yeah, and it was legit. If it's the only fair ball ever hit out of Memorial Stadium, you at least have some relativity. Like, that stadium was probably around for a very long time. So go, while you're at it, like if you're watching this, go look up a picture of Memorial Stadium in Baltimore. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and like no, no one hit it further in that stadium. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty wild. The guy had crazy power that, yeah, you don't really you don't really hear about it. Maybe it's because he doesn't play at a the ballpark that ballpark still isn't standing and you can't yeah if only he hit it on uh, utah street or something like that i probably didn't go to right well wait was no. he a left-handed hitter or a righty he was a righty yeah i probably wouldn't have gone on utah street then 
Yeah, but like I don't think I don't see him pushing him five forty the other way. There's no there's no ballpark tour where they're like, well, this was where Frank Robinson hit his five hundred forty foot home run. The place is probably like torn down now. It's probably yeah. It's like a that. it's like a Walmart now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Over in aisle six, you'll see where Frank Robinson hit that ball. Yeah. Right next to the right between the Wheaties and the Captain Crunch, you can find there's just like Frank a piece Robinson. of like there's just like a plaque. <laughs> yeah the the uh the picture of the baseball like on utah street yeah yeah and it says frank robinson may 8 1966 game yeah, that, two or whatever game one that would be that would be great um so yeah it gal that that home run really rallied the whole team around made them believe in uh what they were doing in that season because this uh this organization had never won a World Series before. So he was coming to a team that really, an organization that really hadn't won before. And he looked to change that. And later in the season, Robinson was at a gathering with teammates. And the Orioles were known for playing practical jokes on each other, like throwing each other into the pool. And uh, Robinson repeated his lack of desire to get thrown into the pool because Robinson never learned to swim. And his teammates did not believe that an athlete of Robinson's caliber would not be able uh, to swim. So they eventually threw him in. And when Robinson did not come back up, they initially thought Robinson was joking uh, because you know they were pranksters and they thought Robinson was probably doing some joking as well. But Two, event, two attendants eventually got him out, and according to Society for American Baseball Research, quote, characteristically, after five minutes of lying on the deck, he picked himself up unscathed. Unquote. What a crazy story. So it was a very, very scary situation right in the middle of that legendary Frank Robinson 1966 season. But he, uh, he was able to pick himself back up without a problem after, uh, after the incident. And Frank Robinson ended up winning the triple crown, hitting 316 with 49 home runs and 122 RBI. And he was able to drive in a league-leading amount of runs uh, because he hit 333 with runners in scoring position. And he also led the league in total bases, sacrifice-wise with seven, runs scored with 122, the entire quadruple slash line, slashing 316, 410, 637, 10, 40, uh, 637, 1047, and uh, also led the league in OPS plus with a 198 OPS plus and weighted runs created plus with a 195. And he ended up leading the league in both B war and F war. And he won. He won the Most Valuable Player Award unanimously, and he remains the only player to win both an American League MVP and a National League MVP. And Robinson also remains the only player in baseball history to have 20-plus home runs and 8-plus stolen bases in each of their first 11 seasons. How about that? Robinson also remains the only player in baseball history with 350-plus home runs, 350-plus doubles, and 150-plus stolen bases through their first 11 seasons. How about that? And the Orioles ended up going 97-63 and 63 and winning the American League pennant. So Robinson was back in the World Series. And in his first plate appearance, Robinson looked to break a scoreless tie with a man on and two out. Drysdale comes to a set position, delivers again, and Frank rips into this one. Tommy Davis going back, but it's gone. It's in there for a home run. Russ Snyder rounds third base, and trots on home with the first run of this 1966 World Series. And here comes Frank Robinson, 
he's still spearheading the Orioles just as he did during the season in pacing their pennant drive. Robbie led the circuit in hitting, runs batted in, and homers to become the first American League Triple Crown winner since Mickey Mantle in 1956. Shout out to the commentary reminding us of Robinson's greatness in the 1966 season. Uh, he ended up two for five in the day. And my mistake, there was a man on and one out. Uh, he was in the three hole. Uh, and he ended up two for five on the day in that game one in a five to two win over the Dodgers. And in game two, he went one for three with a triple and two walks in a six to nothing win. In game three, he went 0 for 3 in a 1 to nothing win. So that made game four a potential clincher. And in that game four, the game was scoreless in the bottom of the fourth with Frank Robinson looking to change the story. Frank Robinson steps to the plate in the Oriole fourth with one out and nobody on. Drysdale fires and Robbie blasted deep to left. It's a home run, a tremendous drive of 410 feet. That's number two for Robbie in the series. He topped the majors with 49 during the season, and Dodger pitching hasn't been able to slow him down a bit. Frank heads for the bench. And a so Frank Robinson gives the Orioles the lead in the game four potential clincher and Robinson ended up one for three on the day with the only run scored and run batted in of the game giving the Orioles a one nothing win and making Robinson a World Series champion and Robinson throughout the series hit 286 with a 1232 OPS with three RBI and as a result he won World Series MVP what a fantastic year to get yeah. M MVP, Triple Crown, you know, batting title naturally, and World Series MVP. And actual MVP. And, uh, yeah, American he League. Was a two, he, he won two MVPs in the same season. He did. He did. It's, man, what a year. Not even Mike Trout has done that with All-Star MVP. Uh, yeah, so no. He was 14 and 15. He, oh wait, no, he did do that in fourteen. Okay, yeah, Mike Trout has done it with all, but not with the. I think I think he'd rather have World Series. Yeah, I I would, as a guess, I would say yeah that that's true. He also retired Sandy Koufax. Yeah, that was um, yeah, Koufax's last game was game one or game yeah game two I think. Yeah. It was his uh, his last yeah, World triple. Series. Not even Koufax could uh, silence the. 1966 Orioles. Koufax in his peak, mind you. Yeah. He was only 30. That's right. So now we move on to 1967. And through the Orioles' first 67 games, ironically enough, Frank Robinson was hitting 336 with a 1110 OPS. He was on place for 51 home runs and 143 RBI. And in the 68th game on June 27th, he, after getting on base via single in his second plate appearance, Brooks Robinson hit a ground ball to the third baseman who threw it over to second base. Robinson went to break up the double play, but in the process, he hit his head on the second baseman's knee and ended up with a concussion and prolonged double vision. He ended up missing 32 games because of this. And then after that, uh, he hit 282 with a 834 OPS in his final 61 games. And later on, Robinson claimed, quote, I don't know how much I left at second base, but I haven't been the same hitter since. And in the year, he ended up finishing second in average with a 311, second in OPS with a 979, second in OPS plus with a 187, and second in weighted runs created plus with 183. He also finished seventh in wins above replacement on both websites. He finished 11th in the MVP vote, and the Orioles went 76 and 85, finishing sixth in the American League. So now we go to 1968. Even if it was the year of the pitcher, it didn't really slow Frank Robinson down that much, uh, except injuries did. Uh, he had different injuries throughout the season that limited him to 115 starts in 130 total games played. In those games, he hit 268 with an 834 OPS. 
which gave him 153 OPS plus and 157 weighted runs created plus. That doesn't seem right, but it is only in 1968. Yeah. He finished, uh, or, he finished fifth in OPS, fifth in OPS plus, and fourth in weighted runs created plus. The Orioles as a whole went 91 and 71. They finished second in the American League. They lost to Denny McLean and the Tigers. And Frank Robinson was unsure how long his career would go. And he had already expressed interest in a future managing career. And he said, quote, if I play seven or eight more years, then I think I'd have sufficient enough baseball knowledge to step directly into managing. And he got a little trial after the 1968 season as he accepted a managerial role in the Puerto Rican Winter League. So he was setting, uh, making, making steps for the future uh, in, after the 1968 season. And in 1969, after the mounds had been lowered, through the end of April in that 69 season, he was hitting 368 with an with a 1249 OPS, uh, while the Orioles went 16 and seven during that stretch. And Robinson, through the end of April, had 10 home runs on the year, and his 10 home runs were an April record at this point. And also during the season, Robinson established himself as a clubhouse guy by cro- proclaiming himself a quote unquote judge, where he would wear a robe and a mop on his head as a wig and handed out fines for quote-unquote crimes, uh, you know, team crimes, such as missing the team bus or missing the cutoff man. So two very different things. Yeah, he uh, he he really took over a, a role in leadership in a fun way in the 1969 season. And uh, the fines uh, were eventually donated to a Reds catcher whose wife died giving birth to their fourth child um give you know making those fines go to a, a good cause and robinson ended up finishing uh in 1969 he ended up finishing fourth in average with a 308 average sixth in ops with a 955 fifth in ops plus with a 165 and fourth in weighted runs created plus with a 166 and he finished fourth in B War and fourth in F War, and he finished third in the MVP vote. And the Orioles went 109 and 53. 109 and 53 for the best record in the American League in 1969. And now we're on to the ALCS in game one in the fourth inning with the game in a scoreless tie. Frank Robinson hit a solo home run, uh, scoring, scoring and driving in the first run in ALCS history and hitting the first home run in ALCS history. Nice. And uh, so, yeah, a little trivia. First, first uh, run scored in ALCS history. It was a Frank Robinson home run, of course. So he can add that to the list. Uh, Robinson also ended up one for three with two walks on the, on the day as the Orioles won four to three in 12 innings over the Twins. Then game two, he went two for five with two doubles in a one to nothing win. And then in game three, he went one for four with a walk and an RBI single in an 11 to two win, advancing them to the World Series. And Robinson hit three 33 with a 1217 OPS throughout the series. And Orioles now in the World Series. And in the first two games of that World Series, Robinson went 0 for 7 combined with one walk uh, while the Orioles split those games with the Mets. And in the next three games, Robinson went 3 for 9 with three walks and a home run you know, significantly improving his performance. But the Orioles lost all three of those games to lose the series. And throughout the, series, the Mets. Yeah, the the Miracle Mets, you know, that he was facing he was facing off against Tom Seaver, Jerry Kuzman, Gary Gentry, uh, Nolan Ryan in a relief appearance. They were uh, pretty tough on the Orioles. And throughout the series, Robinson only had one plate appearance with a runner in scoring position. Uh, 
oddly, oddly enough. So even though he wasn't driving anybody in, there wasn't really any opportunity for him to drive anybody in. So it was the 1969 World Series was a dud for the Orioles, for lack of a better term, uh, but ended up ended the decade. And Frank Robinson was excellent throughout the entire decade. So we're going to recap it for you. Uh, from 1960 to 1969, in that decade, Robinson hit 304 with a 962 OPS, 166 OPS plus, and 164 weighted runs created plus, and averaged 32 home runs and 14 stolen bases per year in the 1960s. Also in the 1960s, Robinson ranked 12th in stolen bases, 10th in BSR, 7th in average among Fangraphs qualifiers, 4th in home runs, tied for 3rd in doubles, 3rd in runs scored, 3rd in RBI, 3rd in walks, 1st in hit by pitches, and 1st in OPS. And Robinson also ranked 4th in B-War and 3rd in F-War throughout the 1960s. And also in the playoffs in the 1960s, had a 1,008 OPS uh, in the playoffs in that decade. So now we, uh, we turn over the decade onto 1970. So now in 1970, on June 25th, Robinson displayed quite the will to win. And this is a quote he gave to renowned journalist Peter Gammons of the Boston Globe. Quote, Frank made a game-saving catch in the 13th, robbing Reggie Smith of a home run with the bases loaded. But he cracked a rib on the fence, on the fence railing so he couldn't swing the bat properly. Without tipping off the Red Sox fielders in the top of the 14th, he crossed up everybody by laying down a bunt with the runner on third beating it out, dive, driving in a run. He couldn't swing the bat, so he found another way to win. And that's just what Frank Robinson does. When he can't hit, he'll still drive him in in a different way. And would you know it, the next day, Robinson casually hit two grand slams in back-to-back innings, which is the biggest FU I've ever seen. Yeah. On the year, he finished fifth in average with a 306, fifth in OPS with a 918, fifth in OPS plus with a 151, and you guessed it, fifth in weighted runs created plus with a 151. He finished 10th in the MVP vote, and the Orioles went 108 and 54 for the best record in the American League. So now they are in the American League Championship Series, where in game one, Frank Robinson went one for four with a walk in a 10 to six win over the Twins. And in game two, he went one for three with two walks and a two-run home run in an 11-3 win. And then in game three, he went over three with two walks in a 6-1 to win to advance the Orioles to the World Series. And throughout the ALCS, Robinson put up a 967 OPS. So now on to the World Series. Uh, he went 0 for 9 without a walk in the first two games of the series, but the Orioles won each game over the Reds. And in game three, Robinson went three for four with a home run in a nine to three victory. And then in game four, Robinson hit a game tying RBI single in the third inning and ended up one for four on the day while the Orioles lost that potential clincher six to five. Then in game five, after the Reds opened up the game by scoring three runs, Robinson looked to close the gap with a man on in the first. He's holding. Long drive. Deep to left field. That one is going. Goodbye. Robinson, second homer of the series, RBI, three and four. So Robinson closes the gap, makes it a three to two ball game in the first inning. And he ended up two for five on the day as the Orioles won that game nine to three, giving Robinson his second World Series championship. And throughout the, the entire postseason, Robinson put up an 883 OPS. So now we move to 1971, and at Robinson's 13th career All-Star game, he came up with the American League down 3-2. to two. 
And Frank is trying to take advantage of that win. Like he was hitting late, trying to get the ball in the air. He's got a drive deep to right field. That ball is going. It is gone. A home run. Certainly talk about place hitting. You know, you can see that right elbow close. So Frank Robinson with a two-run home run to put the American League on top. And Chris, my, my colors are inverted on my screen, so I couldn't see very clearly, but was that at the old Tiger Stadium? Um, I couldn't tell. There was no okay. uh, logos or Hold anything. On. All right. Uh, you, can you look up the 1971 All-Star Game while I continue? Yeah. Robinson was awarded the All-Star Game MVP because that was just something he hadn't done yet. Another thing he hadn't done would come to fruition soon enough. Entering September 9th of 1971, Frank Robinson had 496 career home runs under his belt. He hit a home run in that game, and then he homered the next day. So the Orioles' next two games were a doubleheader on September 13th. And in his first plate, his first plate appearance of the game, he hit a three-run home run for his 499th. And in his next seven plate appearances for the day, he went one for six with a walk and a single. And then in the bottom of the ninth inning, with a man on, Frank Robinson had one last chance to extend his home run streak. Looks to check Powell at first, delivers. Fly ball, well hit, deep left field. It is going to be the 500th home run of a brilliant major league career. Frank Robinson has done it. So Frank Robinson with his 500th career home run coming in the fourth straight game of him homering. Very, very impressive stuff. Pretty much the Frank Robinson way to hit number 500. By the way, Chris, I looked it up. That all-star game was at Tiger Stadium. Way to go. Yeah. Even with inverted colors, I can still see that, except I can't see regular colors because I'm colorblind. And anyway, Frank Robinson ended up hitting 281 on the season with an 894 OPS. He had 153 OPS plus and 150 Weighted runs created plus. He finished fourth in OPS, fourth in OPS plus, and sixth in weighted runs created plus. This gave him third in the MVP vote. And overall, the Orioles went 101 and 57 with the best record in the American League. So, in the American League Championship Series, in the first two games, he went 0 for 7, but he combined that with a walk, and the Orioles won each of those games over the Athletics. And in game three, he went one for five with an RBI double in a five to three win, advancing the Orioles to the World Series. So now in the Orioles' third consecutive World Series, in game one, Robinson went two for four with a solo home run in a five to three win over the Pirates. And in game two, he went three for four in an 11 to three win. So things were looking great for Robinson and the Orioles. Then in game three, he went two for four with a solo home run. However, that solo home run was the only run the Orioles would score, and they ended up losing five to one, making it a two to one series lead. And then in his next 12 plate appearances, he went 0 for 9 with two walks and a hit by pitch, while the Orioles dropped both games four and five. But one of those walks I just talked about came in the bottom of the 10th inning in game six. And the batter after him singled him to third. And Robinson's 36-year-old legs were tested when Brooks Robinson put one in the air with one man out and a shallow outfield. The one-two to Brooks Robinson. Watching Frank at third. Davalio is under it. It's shallow. Davalio's catch. Frank is coming. Here comes the throw. He scores, and the Orioles win. So, Frank Robinson is able to uh, beat out the throw, and win the Orioles game six of the World Series, advancing them to a game seven. But in that game seven, Robinson went 0 for 4 in a 2-1 to loss 
which lost the Orioles the World Series. But throughout the series, put up pretty good numbers, hitting 280 with an 877 OPS. And after the 1971 season, the Orioles felt it was time to move on from Frank Robinson and his salary that came along with him. And they ended up putting 23-year-old Don Baylor in right field instead of Robinson. And on December, 20, uh, on December 2nd, he was traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers in a six-player deal. So now Robinson is back in California where he, uh, where he grew up. So in 1972, his number was retired by the Baltimore Orioles. They wasted no time doing that one. And he started the season characteristically as he played in 44 of the Dodgers' first 50 games, hitting 293 with a 900 OPS. And in the next 34 games, however, it didn't quite go his way as much. He hit 211 with a 653 OPS, and his OPS made him fall out of the lineup. And in total in that season, he ended up with a 251 average, 795 OPS, 127 OPS plus, and 134 weighted runs created plus in 405 plate appearances. The Dodgers went 85 and 70, finishing second in the NLS. And after the season, on November 28th, he was traded not too far, to the California Angels in a six-player deal. So now in 1973, he was with the Angels, and he hit 266 with an 861 OPS, a 151 OPS plus, and 146 weighted runs created plus. He finished seventh in OPS, second in OPS plus, and fourth in weighted runs created plus. Ultimately, he got 15th in the MVP vote, and the Angels went 79 and 83, finishing fourth in the AL West. And... In 1974, Frank Robinson on September 12th was traded to the Cleveland Indians for two players and catch. And on the season, he hit 245 with an 820 OPS, 141 OPS plus, and 139 weighted runs created plus. He finished 10th in OPS, 5th in OPS plus, and 7th in weighted runs created plus. But more importantly, after the season, the Indians fired their manager. And on October 3rd, the Indians general manager announced that Frank Robinson was being named manager of the Cleveland Indians, which made Robinson the first black manager in MLB history. And now there's a, a two-year span where Frank Robinson plays play, player manager. So for the first game of the season in 1975, Robinson slotted himself in the two-hole as the designated hitter. And in the bottom of the first, in front of a home crowd of 56,715 people that included Jackie Robinson's wife, Robinson hit a Frank Robinson hit a solo home run to break a scoreless tie in his first plate appearance as a player manager. And uh, here's a quote from Frank Robinson regarding that day. He said, quote, I was very proud that Rachel Robinson would make the trip over there. I hope I hoped and wished that Jackie could have been there. The next best thing was having her there because it kept me focused. So Robinson uh, breaks the scoreless tie in his first game as a player manager. And the Indi Indians ended up winning Robinson's first game as a manager by the score of five to three. And Robinson only played in 49 games that year and he hit 237 with an 894 OPS 153 OPS plus and 151 weighted runs created plus and 149 plate appearances so even in the limited amount of plate appearances he made a, a pretty big impact and the Indians ended up going 79 and 80 and finishing fourth in the American League East and in 1976 Robinson only made 79 plate appearances hitting 224 with a 687 OPS, 104 OPS plus, and 108 weighted runs created plus. So still above 100, still above average for Frank Robinson. And, oh wait, <laughs> God damn it. Go, you go ahead. So after the season was over, he retired as a player. Uh, retired. Uh, started start at, start at 76. I made a mistake. Okay. So now we move on to 1976, and Frank Robinson made a brief 79 plate appearances in this season, 
He hit 224 with a 687 OPS, which doesn't sound good, and it's not. But ironically, it was still good for 104 OPS plus and 108 weighted runs created plus. And after this season was over, Frank Robinson retired as a player with the fourth most home runs of all time at that point. The Indians went 81 and 78, finishing fourth in the American League East. And Frank Robinson was on to his retiring days. He was on to his post career, where he instead, like, like he mentioned, decided to be a manager, and he did so. After a 26 and 31 start in 1977, the Indians fired Frank Robinson. And he had other coaching roles with the Angels and Orioles until he was hired for the San Francisco Giants managerial job in 1981. And in 1982, he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame with an 89.2% of the vote. And he ended up managing the Giants until 1984. And then from 85 to 87, Frank Robinson was the coach for, was a coach for the Orioles. And then after the Orioles started the season in 1988 with an 0-6 record, they ended up hiring Frank Robinson to be their manager. But unfortunately, the Orioles lost 15 more consecutive games to start the season at 0-21. Took them 22 games to win one. And they ended up going 54 and 107 in 1988. The next season, they went 87 and 75. And Robinson was awarded the AL Manager of the Year because that was quite a turnaround there. He ended up managing the Orioles until 1991. And in 1998, his number was retired by the Cincinnati Reds. In 2002, he was hired by the Expos, who were coming off of the 68 and 94 season. And in his first year as the Expos manager, he managed the get them over 500 for the first time in six years. And he did it again in 2003. And on August 31st, 2005, after the franchise had packed their bags to Washington, DC, Mike Robinson was visibly upset with the home plate umpire. Moments ago, we had the great stare down. Manager Frank Robinson, home plate umpire Jim Wolf. Robinson still is seething about the Ball four, strike three call. He thought it was a walk to Johnson. And then Jim Wolf in the half inning, Tom, he just continued to stare at Frank Robinson, who was staring right back and unblinking. Wasn't going to take his eyes off Jim Wolf or anything. It looked like he was waiting for an excuse to throw Frank out. But during that segment, I noticed that Frank blinked first. So Frank Robinson with the ultimate stare down with Jim Wolf. And after the 2006 season, Frank Robinson retired from baseball altogether. And in 2017, his number was retired by the Cleveland Indians, and he joined Nolan Ryan as one of just two players to have their number retired by three different teams. And ultimately, on February 7, 2019, Frank Robinson died at the age of 83. So now to celebrate the life and career of Frank Robinson, we should look at where he ranks all time. Is 26th all-time in OPS plus with a 154, 25th in walks with a one with 1,420 walks, 21st in RBI with 1,812, 18th in times on base, 17th in runs scored with 1,829 runs scored, 13th in total bases, 10th in home runs with 586, and he is ninth all-time in hit by pitches. He also ranks, you know, in terms of the whole package, 18th all-time in both position player B-War and position player F-War. And now for the Frank Robinson edition of... How about that? Robinson is the only player in baseball history with a 385-plus on-base percentage, 2,940-plus hits, 500-plus home runs, and 200-plus stolen bases. And Robinson is also the only player in baseball history with 1,420 plus walks and 200 plus stolen bases in less than in less than 300 attempts. How about that? And now Frank Robinson's legacy. Uh, he was a big part of. First of all, he was a big part of two championships and four pennants with Baltimore, and it makes a lot of sense that even though he only played six years in that city they retired his number immediately and 
the thing with Frank Robinson, like, and you pointed this out uh, when I initially uh, revealed it, he achieved everything that you could possibly achieve in baseball during his time. Uh, you know, there wasn't a, there wasn't a silver slugger during uh, while Frank Robinson played, but if there was, he would have won plenty of them. So Robinson came into the league at 20, started in an all-star game, then won rookie of the year, then won a gold glove two years later, an NL pennant, uh, an NL MVP and an NL pennant three years after that, a batting title, a triple crown, an AL MVP, an AL pennant, a, a World Series championship, and a World Series MVP in 1966, an All-Star Game MVP five years after, and he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, then eventually went into managing and won a Manager of the Year award. He achieved, he got every achievement possible in baseball. It's uh, pretty, pretty ad- admirable. And uh, doesn't probably doesn't get talked about enough. He's he's like Mr. Baseball, got yeah. got everything, and I mean, uh, I... most importantly, he broke a, he broke a glass ceiling by becoming the first black manager in MLB history, and that's probably what he'll be remembered most for. That's huge. Um, one thing I just wanted to say, he was a true baseball lifer. I mean, he played the game. Per, you know, he was in the majors for twenty one years. He managed for 17 years. Obviously, two of those are overlap. So if you say, so that's what? 21 plus basically 15. Uh, that is, I can't do math, 36 years in the game. Yeah, about. And then like growing up playing the game. Exactly. I mean, yeah. the guy was a true baseball lifer. Yeah, he managed until he was uh, 70 years old. Exactly. I mean, he made his debut at 20, reti- retired as a manager at 70. Yeah, and like, yeah, even when he wasn't managing, he was coaching around the game. He's probably, exactly. you know, nothing specific, but I think he was an outfield coach at one point. He probably did some base coaching as well, mm-hmm. bench coach. But yeah, I mean, uh, an incredible baseball life altogether yeah. is what you would say. Nobody loved being around baseball more than Frank Robinson. Yeah, that's a, that's a, uh, a pretty good statement. Yeah, like, we talk about we've talked about plenty and plenty of baseball careers, but this man had an unbelievable baseball life yeah. altogether, which was uh, great to see. And yeah, wonderful, wonderful to talk about Frank Robinson. He's a he's a legend in many different ways. Uh, so yeah, very good. And yeah, I guess uh, I guess that leads into the reveal of the last player. The last player. Oh, we've done. We've gone through twenty nine. We have one more. It's like the tenth inning of a perfect game. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like if Rich Hill got a got to got a chance to pitch the tenth before Josh Harrison homered. Right. Exactly. I mean, uh, that was also not a perfect game anyway. So yeah, our last player that we will be talking about, uh, you know, he's our first Kansas native, first native of the state of Kansas, uh, I'll say first of all. And what I'll also say is in the history series, <clears throat> we've, co- we've covered them all. We've covered, you know, we've covered players from, players still playing today, players from the 90s, 80s, every decade. We've covered uh, pitchers from, we've covered a pitcher in the 20s and 30s in Lefty Grove. We covered a man who pitched in the 50s and 60s with Sandy Koufax. And we did plenty of guys who pitched in the 70s with Fergie Jenkins, Steve Carlton, Tom Seaver, uh, Nolan Ryan. Uh, we covered pitchers in the 90s and 2000s with Greg Maddox, Randy Johnson. But what we have yet to do is cover a pitcher who pitched in the dead ball era when pitching was at its best and next week. Oh my God. Two weeks. And two weeks in two weeks, we are going to be talking about a world series champion. Who is the only man uh, to have 5,200 plus innings pitched and less than 1500 earned runs allowed. Was he, uh, was he on your all-time team? Was he your number one pick on the all-time team? 
He is the all-time leader in shutouts, and he is he was my first pick in the all-time draft next week. We are closing it out, or two two weeks from now, we are closing it out with Walter Johnson. The big train. Ironically, we are closing it out with a starter. We are true, but that starter also closed it out a lot. He did. That is perfect. We're going, yeah. Walter Johnson of the Washington Senators. Yeah, how funny is that, that my first pick of the all-time draft, which came out yesterday, uh, is is the player we are going to be talking about. Beautiful. Um, let me do what I have to do here. Um, strike through, strike through. All right, and that crosses off the list. And, yeah, that's it. That's it for the players. No more. No more reveals. How about that? So I guess now I can uh, I can go to the original version of this doc of this document. And here we go. Back to April. I, I've been asking Chris to see this. Like I like told him when there's like 15 players left, I was like, when we finish, I want to see what the list looked like at 30. Yep. And we're going to restore this document. This is going to be, I'm going to keep this. Yeah, I'll keep this saved forever. Um, here we I go. have a picture of what my list looked like at 30, and now it's just down to one. But yeah. that can't be revealed until next week. We don't have all 30 in, in one shot, but huh. here we go. Here's what it looks like. Wow. Here's what, here's what it originally was. Wow. And this was not computer. This wasn't computer randomized at all. This is just what I wrote down. That is beautiful. So yeah, we had uh, Williams, Mays, Molitor, Johnson, Maddox, Brett, Schmidt, Bonds, Carlton, Robinson, Seaver, Johnson, Mantle, Fox, Morgan, Henderson, Bench, Clemente, Hornsby. Shoeless Joe Jackson, Gehrig, Wagner, Koufax, Ryan, Matthews, Pujols, Grove, Greenberg, DiMaggio, Jenkins. Amazing. That STVNL was, lottery. Yeah, back back in the day, <laughs> back when it was STVNL. This was we're coming up on eleven months basically since that. Yeah, basically, yeah, a, a month after like the pandemic got hot was when we started history. started this and yeah so yeah if you uh, want to know what we were referencing go to the youtube channel and subscribe to the youtube channel it is called above replacement radio and if you want to follow us on social media follow me at chris underscore gianta uh on twitter and follow daniel on both twitter and instagram at daniel underscore current and follow the show instagram at above replacement radio get all the updates uh i think on uh on friday i'll post all the teams that came about of the all-time draft um maybe get some comments i don't know and we hope you enjoyed the frank robinson episode and we hope to see you next week where we we will be talking about or on uh tuesday where we're going to be previewing the american league east and on Thursday, where we're going to be talking about the 2003 Florida Marlins. See you then.